hormone harmony is not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of hormone harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. That means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So, Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any women with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those with those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas, no desire to be in bed next to someone if you know what I mean. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. And the biggest benefit feeling like myself again. And that's what women mention over and over in the reviews. There are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use our code, which is the acronym of the podcast, T-S-N-O-T-Y-A-W at checkout. That's the podcast acronym at checkout at happymammoth.com calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on. Hi there and welcome to my show, the shit no one tells you about writing. I'm your host, Bianca Murray. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to share some exciting news, which is that I will begin offering virtual creative writing courses, beginning with two that will be run over May and June of 2021. I'll share all the details of those courses with you at the end of today's episode, or you can go to my website, www.biancamaray.com, look under the courses tab for the costs and how to sign up. In today's episode, we're going to be balancing the elements of craft with services that are available to writers. So we're going to be chatting with guest Susie Wheelahan about writing retreats. And then I'm going to be discussing elements of craft in terms of more detail about showing versus telling. Today's guest is a published author whose work has appeared in various anthologies and a poet whose poetry collection, The Sky Laughs at Borders, was published in 2019. She's a certified facilitator in the AWA method and runs a short-term writing retreat called Writer's Oasis. More importantly, she's one of my favorite human beings. It's my pleasure to welcome Susie Wheelahan. 
Susie, what an absolute joy to have you on the podcast today. I like to give a bit of context to my listeners as to how I know the people that I'm interviewing. And Susie was one of the very first people that I met in Canada in 2012 after arriving in Canada from South Africa. I joined up to participate in the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies in their uh, creative writing certificate program. And Susie was in my very first class. And I will never forget, we had to write a poem for the class, which already freaked me out because poetry is not my natural setting. As you guys know, I am super wordy. And with poetry, you really have to pare things down. And we all had to kind of get up and read our poem to the class, which is pretty terrifying because at that point, a lot of people had issues with my accent. I'm trying to understand me. And uh, so I got up and kind of stammered my way through my poem. And there Susie was, and she got up and she sang her poem. She didn't just recite it, she sang it. And I sat there with my mouth open and I said to myself, you need to make friends with this woman. And I'm very happy to say that I did. And now many years later, we're still incredibly good friends. So Susie, thank you for joining me today. Oh, Bianca, my pleasure. My pleasure. Oh, goodness. And I have had the pleasure of you at a Writer's Oasis several times. Because I absolutely love it, which is why I want to share the secret of it today with all of the listeners as well. Because whereas before they had to be in Toronto to partake of it, now they can do it from anywhere in the world. So there's absolutely no reason why they can't sign up. So let's begin, Susie. Why don't you tell us what the AWA method is, what its philosophy is, and how you became trained in it? Okay. AWA stands for Amherst Writers and Artists, and it was founded by a woman named Pat Schneider in Amherst, Massachusetts. That's where the Amherst comes from. Originally, they thought they would be uh, working with artists as well, and that did not happen, but they kept the name anyway. So it's all about writing, and the message basically is quite revolutionary. It's basically saying, you are a writer. Anyone who writes is a writer. Pat said, talking is writing in the air. And now we're writing, we're just saying, write on paper. Anyone who writes is a writer. And you might not be an author, you might not be published, and that's okay. Van Gogh wouldn't have considered himself a, you know, an artist if the criteria was he had sold paintings. He only sold one, I think, and that was to his brother. So we know that doesn't count. Everyone agrees he is an artist. And everyone in AWA knows that everyone can write, regardless of age background, education, any kind of orientation. And this was the revolutionary part of it, that there is plenty of room for everyone to come. And it's very generative and it builds on your strengths. A lot of workshops, and I've been to many in my long life, are very good. And certainly MFA programs can be very good. But historically, they've always dealt with what's wrong with the piece. You know, to critique something was to tell you what's wrong and what you need to change. And AWA is completely the opposite. We write from prompts. So I will give you a prompt. It might be a sentence stem. I might say, the other day, I noticed Or I might say, let's make a list, all the jobs you've had. And when one really starts to click, you remember that so well, just let it go. Follow your mind. So it's all very on the spot and fresh. And because of that, when we come to look at your piece, when you read it, this is a brand new little seedling on the planet. And so we are going to shine all the warmth we can on it and nourish it and tell you everything 
that works about it. Everything that stays with us, what was strong. And one of the tenets is that you never have to read your work. I encourage people to, but I will not cajole anyone. That's your prerogative. It's interesting times when I haven't wanted to read my own work. I have, and I've been stunned at what people hear in it that I didn't realize was there. Oh, and that brings up another point. Unlike most workshops anywhere, I am not putting myself out as the expert on writing. I am there to facilitate a safe space for everyone. I am going to write and I am going to read. I am going to make myself as vulnerable as everyone else. So that's a huge difference. Really, we want to help people find their voice, especially those who have been told they don't have one or is not worthy of being spoken. Their stories are really not important. And so a major part of AWA is working with marginalized people and helping them find their voice and helping them grow in confidence and enthusiasm for the writing that they do. Something that you said earlier really struck me is that, you know, people say, oh, I'm not a writer. And I remember myself that until I became published, I honestly didn't feel that I could call myself a writer without blushing and feeling like I was misrepresenting myself. And that is something that is hugely a problem. Because like you say, if you write every day, if you write, you are a writer. You may not be an author, but you are a writer. And I feel like one of the biggest obstacles that stands in the way of writing these days is this feeling that we can't claim this title and we feel like we can't claim our space Mm. and we feel like nobody wants to hear what we want to say and that we are not in any way more qualified than anybody else. And so therefore, so many writers say to me, well, I'm not talented enough. I'm not a real writer. I don't feel like what I have to say carries more weight than what anybody else has to say. And therefore, what's the point? Why should I do this? I certainly felt like that for many years. It did seem to be arrogant almost. What do you mean you're a writer? Uh, But I now know that everyone has creative genius. Everyone has the ability to channel some of that genius in some form or other. And we need the encouragement. We need to let all that, all that we are told by society that you must have credentials and you must have a published book or you must have whatever. No, you must have the courage to sit down and put pen on paper or click away at the keys and follow your mind. You know, there are a lot of people who are doing things that you think you would like to do. And the only difference is they decided they were worth it. They just decided, I am going to give myself permission. I am going to give myself the time. I am going to let my voice be heard. So I am a writer. And I have writers work with me all the time. Right, Susie. So why don't you tell us about your writing retreat, the Writer's Oasis? Give us a bit of an overview of if somebody wants to sign up for it, what they can expect now, especially in the online forum. Okay. I originally did workshops in my home, two and a half hours in the evenings or full day ones, which was just a real treat. However, now on Zoom, I have new formats. I am doing one hour a week in the mornings, Monday mornings. I am doing one and a half hours in the evening, once a week. I facilitate once a month, a Sunday morning, and that's for 90 minutes as well. 
And that one has a special nature that was more of a spiritual nature. And it's for people of all faith and ye of little faith. And what happens is we greet each other on, on uh, Zoom and we will do a little meditation, get ourselves just relaxed. And then we will start with a prompt. It might be a photograph. You know, it, it could be anything. And we write for seven minutes, 10 minutes, however long I decide. And then we go on to the next prompt or stay on the first one. See, the important thing is there's so many important things, Bianca. But one of the important things is I am just offering you, the writer, can do whatever you want. You can do exactly as I tell you or forget everything I say. You are there to follow your own mind. So when it's time to read, we just go around, we read and. We tell one word, one phrase, or a craft element that really stood out. I really like the fact that you used dialogue that worked so well. Or I really liked the way you ended that poem with the beginning line again. Because you see, any kind of writing can be done here. Certainly prose, certainly poetry. And often people will come, I believe you did, my dear, while working on a novel and take the prompt and write in the voice of a character to try and get to know the character better. So there are all kinds of ways to use this model. And, and by the end of it, really what I want is two things. I want you to know that or feel that you have been heard. And I want you to want to continue writing. Those are the only two things I'm hoping for. I'll just jump in there. So I've been to a few of, uh, you know, your oasis, uh, some of the days, some of the full days, some of the afternoons, some of the evenings. And each time that I've come to them, I have been working on an existing work. So I would sit down with you and everyone else who was there and listen to the prompt and just kind of dive into it. And sometimes I would be inspired by the work that I, my work in progress, and it would, you know, stem from that and everything I wrote would stem from that. Other times it would be something completely and utterly different. What I absolutely loved about it is that it took away the terror of the blank page because when you have a work in progress and you sit down and you're staring at the screen and you've got this whole list of all these things you need to focus on in terms of the plot needs to move here. This scene needs to include this and this and this. This kind of characterization needs to come out. And it's important to keep all of these things in your mind when you're working on a novel, but sometimes it can be incredibly overwhelming and it can feel more like doing math. It's kind of X plus Y equals Z and, and all of these elements have to come together to to create this chapter. And so it can be daunting. But when you sit down with you and you have got seven minutes in which to write and there is no pressure on you to share it with other people, I find that it just taps into your creative brain in a way that nothing else allows you to because that critical voice is gone. You don't have the luxury of writing a sentence and then saying, oh, no, wait, that wasn't a beautiful sentence and then crossing it out and coming back to the sentence. It's just seven minutes in which you are just being 100% creative, getting those thoughts down on the page. And every time you go, okay, 30 seconds left, wrap up what you're writing. It's like, oh my word, how did the time fly? And you kind of wrap it up. And I have without fail used something from every bit of writing I've done in one of the Oasis times with you. I've used something of that in each of my novels somewhere along the line. I think once you gave us a box of items and we had to reach 
kitchen and pick out an item. And I think I picked out a button. And this button just got me thinking about how many times a day we touch buttons and the act of dressing and the act of getting undressed. And it just opened up all these thoughts that I never would otherwise have thought about, especially as it related to my character. So it taps into this creative vein and just lets it flow. And and that's what I absolutely love about it. Oh, beautiful to hear. Listen, I'm also going to say, so you were writing fiction and we all knew that. A very important uh, tenet of AWA is everything will be treated as fiction. Even if you're using first person narrator, even if I'm saying I, even if I'm saying, you know, I'm working on a memoir. When that piece is read, we do not talk about you when you cried with your grandma over whatever. No, we talk about the narrator. When the narrator was crying with grandma, whatever happens, we talk about the narrator and treat the whole piece as fiction and it's confidential. No one will come up to anyone during a break and say, I am so sorry that happened to you. It's all confidential, all treated as fiction. And this gives people a chance to dive very deep into their psyche, into their memories. Oftentimes we are laughing, laughing, laughing. And other times there are tears around that table and the tears are allowed to flow. You know, it can be very emotional and that's a good thing. And as I say, your work, your story will be held in confidence. That is really freeing because if you are working on a memoir or if you're tapping into a real experience that you are just wanting to explore for whatever sake, whether it's, you know, for your writing, whether it's just personally something that you're wanting to work through, by everybody treating it as fiction, it allows you that much more honesty, mm-hmm. uh, personal honesty than, than you might otherwise convey. And I loved what you said about the courage to write because, you know, I say it often to my creative writing students that writing takes courage, being vulnerable takes courage and that you have to make yourself vulnerable in order to write. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for that as writers, the courage that it takes every day to sit down and stare at that blank page and to tackle all of these things. So to have that support is wonderful because here's the thing, if you join up to a creative writing program, if you're in one of my classes, it's my job as an instructor to, yes, I will say where where you've written really good work and I will say this is wonderful, this image was lovely, the sentiment is lovely, but I'm also going to be critiquing your work a lot. And I'm going to be saying, this sentence was awkward. This could have been done better. I don't understand what you're saying here. I feel like you've used this image too many times. And while that is conducive to helping you become a better writer, it can also erode your confidence in some ways. So in terms of the positivity that you spoke about, Susie, in terms of that people say positive things about the work, I find that that's especially important when you are not feeling that confident about your work. Have you had instances where, you know, writers have come in and have been feeling kind of beaten down and just lacking their confidence in their own work and they've left feeling galvanized? and and believing in themselves again? Oh, absolutely. And first I'll say that there is a place for editing, the critiquing with suggestions and questions in AWA. However, that means it's going to be done on a piece that you've perhaps generated in an earlier oasis or that you've worked on and have sent to everyone. So they have time ahead of the uh, gathering to read it, to respond to it. Of course, first with the positives, positive feedback, and then after that, 
with some questions, some concerns. So there is place for that in AWA. I've done a lot of work with seniors and I've had several wonderful workshops with English speaking adults who have are still learning to read and to see them come to life while reading something they've just written is such a joy and they sit up a little taller, you know, and this one particular seniors group I've been working with for about five years now, many had never had never really written since high school. And they we decided at the end of the year, I said, well, would you like to make a small publication perhaps? Or maybe we could have a, a writer's salon and read to the public. They all wanted to read. They all wanted to read. They had never read in public in their lives. And we had, you know, a lovely evening, about 80 people. And we do it every year now where they stand proudly and read their work. I love that story. And as well, there's something about reading something that you have just written. I mean, the ink is barely dry on the page and then you share it with people, which again, helps you to embrace those messy first drafts because perfectionism Again, the pursuit of perfection is something that really stands in the way of creativity. And writers will often write something and then they'll rewrite something and they'll rewrite it, trying to polish it up. Whereas if every single person at the table has used the same prompt, they've all just written it, they haven't had time to even process it, never mind take time away to come back and edit it. There's the beauty in those messy first drafts. Absolutely. And Anne Lamott, you know, one of the patient saints of writing these days, she says, your job is to write a shitty first draft. And so, and I'm very good at that. And anyone who starts to dump on themselves with that, said, was it shitty? Oh, congratulations. You know, if you leave after an hour or 90 minutes and you have three pieces of writing and you have a little stone in each one that you can take home and polish, good for you. It's a real accomplishment. It's a joy. And even if none of it is something you want to use in your work in progress, I love to use attending your oasis as kind of a creative jumpstart for my brain. It's just a way to wake myself up and remind myself why I write and to have fun with it and to take the pressure out of it and just sit down, have three writing prompts. And it's amazing the places your brain will take you. You know, you will look at a button or you will look at a spool of thread or you will look at a pack of cards or you will show us a poem or a picture. And, you know, you'll have 10 people around the table and every single person's brain goes to something completely and utterly different. And they come at it from all these different angles. And sometimes just something someone else says might inspire you and kind of get those cogs going. So for those of you out there who sometimes feel, you know, that you're in this creative desert, that the joy of writing has been taken away because you've put so much pressure on yourself to write something amazing and to get it published, et cetera, et cetera. If you need this little wonderful creative jumpstart, this way of finding community as well with other writers, and it really doesn't take a lot of your time. Like Susie said, it's an hour and a half, whether it's on the weekend or whether it's at night. I've always walked away from them feeling energized and really happy and just buoyed up and feeling like I could tackle anything. So Susie, if listeners are interested in attending one of the sessions, could you give an indication of what the cost is and how they might go about booking it? Certainly. Well, I do have a website, writersoasis, one word, dot ca. My email address is swheelahan, one word, S-W-H-E-L-E-H-A-N at gmail.com. And you can come for one session, which for a 60 minute session is $25. However, if you book four sessions, 
it's $80. A 90 minute session is 35. And again, if you book four, it's 120. So it's 30 a session. And I'm also going to just mention, I am not really as courageous or disciplined when I'm alone. I do most things better in a crowd. And even if it's, you know, eight faces on a screen, I do much better when I'm writing with a group of people. And so that is just something, something to keep in mind. And it's also carving out that time and committing to it, because I know that a lot of my listeners say that they'll sit down to write and their family doesn't respect that they're writing because it looks like they're sitting there doing nothing. And again, so if you take out an hour of your time or an hour and a half of your time to write with other people, it is it looks to your family like you are, are doing something, which makes them a lot less likely to uh, interrupt you. And something else to keep in mind is that Susie charges Canadian dollars. So for our American listeners, that'll be even cheaper for you keeping in mind the exchange rate. And for 2021 in the wonderful world of Zoom, I am creating a new offer, which is if you have two other friends or more that you would like to write with, contact me and we will arrange a time and a length of time that suits you and your people. And this is a wonderful opportunity for writing groups to do something to Together as a group to have somebody facilitate that. I actually think I'm going to speak to my writing group about it and we set up something with all of us and have Susie facilitate us because it again, it just kind of kickstarts that writing group, gets you out of, you know, the same old rut and gets you doing more interesting things. Wonderful, Susie. Thank you so much for that information. You and I will chat soon about us setting something up for me. And for the rest of you, I honestly can't tell you enough how much I love this. It's of huge benefit and I hope that you manage to carve out some time to spend with Susie as well. Thank you so much, Bianca. This has been a joy. Did you know that 70% of all books are sold online via e-commerce? If you're an author wondering how you can get some of that market share, this is for you. Hi, I'm your co-host Carly Waters, and I'm here to tell you how writers can work on their author brand to build an audience and convert those followers into book buyers. Do you ever wonder why so many authors publish their books and later say they didn't sell as many copies as they wanted? It happens over and over and it's all over social media. Authors really think it's a them problem, but not always. They really just weren't shown the way. And I don't want you guys to launch a book and show up at book events and have two people in the chairs. I have helped clients launch books to the bestseller list for over 15 years. I have now built a six module, 10 hour course with all my knowledge, and that will give you the craft and book business information that you won't find anywhere else. And there's an app. Over 100 of you have already joined my new course. And writer Siobhan Moore said, I'm halfway through the course and grieving that I didn't have this information sooner. There's really nowhere else to find it. Worth every penny. Thank you, Siobhan. If you want all that info and everything that will change the course of your writing career, go to carlywaters.com course to learn more and use discount code POD15 for the month of April at checkout. That's POD, P-O-D 15 at checkout over at carlywaters.com course. Hi everyone, this is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is 
different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. And now we're getting to the elements of craft part of today's episode. Now, after last week's episode, we had quite a few questions about showing versus telling. So with Claire Lombardo in our discussion, Claire said that she loves writing scene. And I had some listeners ask, well, what's the difference between scenes and exposition? What is the difference between showing versus telling? Now, when I'm teaching, I like to use examples as I find that that's the best way to learn. So to that end, I'm going to be reading some examples to you from the book that I'm currently busy reading. It is The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. It's a wonderful book for those of you who haven't read it yet. Really, really delightful and funny. And I'm going to begin with the first few pages so that I'm not giving away any spoilers. And here we go. So we begin with chapter one. And this is a character called Joyce, and she is speaking. Now, this is an example of telling or exposition. Here we go. Well, let's start with Elizabeth, shall we? And see where that gets us. I knew who she was, of course. Everybody here knows Elizabeth. She has one of the three bedroom flats in Larkin Court. It's the one on the corner with the decking. Also, I was once on a quiz team with Stephen who, for a number of reasons, is Elizabeth's third husband. I was at lunch, this is two or three months ago, and it must have been a Monday, because we were having shepherd's pie. Elizabeth said she could see that I was eating, but she wanted to ask me a question about knife wounds, if it wasn't inconvenient. Elizabeth asked me to imagine that a girl had been stabbed with a knife. I asked what sort of knife she had been stabbed with, and Elizabeth said probably just a normal kitchen knife, John Lewis or some such. She didn't say that, but that was what I pictured. Then she asked me to imagine this girl had been stabbed three or four times, just under the breastbone, in and out, in and out, very nasty, but without severing an artery. She was fairly quiet about the whole thing because people were eating, and she does have some boundaries. Right, now that's from the first page. And this is a wonderful example of exposition or telling or what we call summary. Because it's one character who is summarizing something that happened. And they are telling the reader their own memory of it and their own experience of it and their own interpretation of it. So instead of the reader being a fly on the wall, seeing this whole scene playing out and And being able to infer from it what they want to, they are dependent on this character interpreting it for them. So our entire view of Elizabeth is through Joyce's perceptions of Elizabeth. She tells us how to perceive Elizabeth and she summarizes something that happened a few weeks ago. We don't see this scene unfolding as it actually happened. She says over here, Elizabeth asked me to imagine that the girl was killed with just a normal kitchen knife, John Lewis or some such. 
She didn't say that, but that's what I pictured. So have a look. You've got Joyce interjecting her own thoughts, her own perceptions into the moment. So it isn't a pure moment that is just playing out for you to see. And that is what exposition or summary is. It's either the author as the narrator summarizing things for the reader and telling the reader how to interpret something, which could be good or bad, depending on whether the narrator is reliable or unreliable. And you could have a lot of fun with that because sometimes the reader doesn't know if the narrator can be trusted, if their perceptions and what they are telling us can be trusted. Because if you, for example, have a narrator who is quick to take offense, who's incredibly sensitive and thinks everybody is constantly mocking them or making fun of them. When they then interpret something that happened, let's say they walk into a room and someone happens to look their way and then somebody else says something and they begin laughing, this character will assume that these people are saying something nasty about them and laughing at them. And this may not be the case at all. It may just be that these people were discussing something as this character walked in and whatever they were discussing happened to be funny. So an unreliable narrator can give us a very different view as to what is actually happening if they relay that in exposition. So think about things like diary entries. If you have a character who's relaying information in diary entries, or if you have an epistolary novel like the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Mary Ann Schaffer, an epistolary novel is one that is told in letters. And so if a character is writing diary entries or they're writing a letter to somebody, everything that they're going to be relaying is going to be exposition or telling or summary. Right, then on the opposite end of the spectrum, what we have is showing or a scene. And what happens there is that the writer relays something for the reader exactly as it happens. You have dialogue, you have something unfolding in a way that if the reader was a fly on the wall, they would be able to watch everything and reach their own conclusions. They don't need writer as narrator or character as narrator telling them how something unfolded. They can see for themselves and they can see if somebody is being overly sensitive or if people really are speaking about that person, etc. So, Again, let me read a scene to you from The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. It's chapter two. So again, no major spoilers. And here you have PC Donna DeFreitas. So here we go. Today, however, she found herself at the Cooper's Chase Retirement Village. It seemed innocuous enough lush, untroubled, sedate, and on her drive-in she spotted a nice pub for lunch on the way home, so getting serial killers in headlocks on speedboats would have to wait. Now, that's an introduction to the scene, so that is exposition, and this is when we dive into the actual scene itself. Security, Donna began, though she was really thinking about whether she should get a tattoo. A dolphin on her lower back? Or would that be too cliche? What do we mean when we say the word security? Well, I think that word means different things to different. A hand shot up in the front row. 
which was not normally how this went. But in for a penny, an immaculately dressed woman in her 80s had a point to make. Dear, I think we're all hoping this won't be a talk about window locks. The woman looked around her and picked up murmured support. A gentleman hemmed in by a walking frame in the second row was next. And no ID cards, please. We know all about ID cards. Are you really from the gas board or are you a burglar? We've got it, I promise. A free-for-all had commenced. It's not the gas board anymore. It's Centrica, said a man in a very smart three-piece suit. The man sitting next to him, wearing shorts, flip-flops and a West Ham United shirt, took this opportunity to stand up and stab a finger in no particular direction. It's thanks to Thatcher that, Ibrahim, we used to own it. Oh, do sit down, Ron, the well-dressed woman had said. Then she looked at Donna and added, Sorry about Ron, with a slow shake of her head. The comments had continued to fly. And what criminal wouldn't be able to forge an ID document? I've got cataracts. You could show me a library card and I'd let you in. They don't even check the meter now, dear. It's all on the web. It's on the cloud, dear. I'd welcome a burglar. It would be nice to have a visitor. Right, so as you can see here, this is scene unfolding. We've got all the characters there. They're saying things. It's not being paraphrased in a summarized context. It's all as it's happening. So as the reader, we can reach our own conclusions and there's an immediacy to it because it feels like we're there, a part of the scene. So that's what I was talking about last week when we were talking about whether something is showing or telling or whether it's exposition or scene. Now, a novel should be a balance of these things. Anything that's really compelling and that's really interesting should happen in scene. Put us right there with these characters. Let us see what each character is actually saying. Let us see their body language. Let's see their gestures. How are they dressed? What is the setting? How are they reacting to other characters? How is everything unfolding? And then, of course, if any period of time passes and now it's three weeks later, you're not going to write everything that happened in those three weeks in scene because these are all the boring bits. A novel needs to be the interesting parts of life made into scenes and everything else either completely ignored in that you could move on to chapter three, which then happens three weeks later, or you have an exposition or a telling part in which you say, during the three weeks that passed, she took her car to be serviced, she had a manicure, and she worked every day except for the day that she wasn't feeling well and she phoned in sick. Boom. We have an understanding of what happened in those three weeks, and now we can get to the good stuff again. So that is balanced balancing out showing with telling scene and exposition. So both showing and telling are both forms of description. Showing involves action and dialogue and things happening as they will, whereas telling is providing the reader with information. It helps to understand telling versus showing, you know, not as a dichotomy, not two things that are on complete opposites, but as a continuum. So one part of the continuum is exposition, which is pure telling and relaying information and the other end of it would be dramatizing, which is something unfolding. 
Exposition definitely has legitimate uses, so it's the most efficient way to summarize background information, perhaps necessary information about a character's history, like perhaps backstory or something that happened in the past, and it really helps you make those transitions, and it can set the stage well for a dramatized event. You may have a scene that you want to write in which things are going to unfold, but you may want to just set the scene for us so that we know where the characters are sitting, who the characters are, and then you dive into the scene. Important to remember is to match your exposition to the pace of the story. The faster paced your story is, the shorter your expository sections should be. So if you're having action, it needs to be shown. We need to see the character on the ground, hitting the ground running, everything unfolding as it's happening to the character. We want to be there with them. If they have bullets whizzing at them, if they've cut themselves and people are yelling and they're diving for cover, we don't want the scene slowed down so that you can tell us, oh, by the way, his blazer is blue and the car that he has ducked under is a 1950 Chevy or whatever the case may be. These are not things that matter to us. In fast action we want events piling up one on top of the other kind of at this dizzying speed and exposition almost always slows a reader down so when it comes to pacing if you want a nice slow sedate pace then you would have more exposition but if you want to speed things up you are going to be using scene much more and try and alternate the two as much as possible. So a scene with a bit of exposition, then a scene again. You don't want a whole novel that is just scene, scene, scene. But again, you don't want a novel that is just exposition, exposition, exposition. When to start a new scene is something that emerging writers get stuck with. So, you know, they, they're not quite sure when a new scene should begin. So generally, if you're changing your point of view character, that's a good time to start a new scene or even a new chapter. If characters are changing and suddenly a new character is there, then you begin a new scene. If the storyline changes and suddenly it's a completely different storyline. If the scene location changes, so maybe at one point they were in the coffee shop and now they're in the museum, then you would start writing a new scene. If time has passed in between one thing happening and something else, then it's a good time to start a new scene. And how long a scene should be depends again on the pacing. So remember, the shorter the scene, the faster the pacing, and the longer the scene, the slower the pacing. So any kind of key event in your novel, like an inciting incident, what is the thing that gets the novel started? What is the big happening that pushes your character into the novel? When this happens, it should be a scene. Don't write that as exposition. And every scene that you write should have a purpose. There should be a goal in that scene. If you've written a scene and afterwards I say to you, what was the purpose of the scene? What was moved forward in the plot? What was revealed to the reader about the plot? What was revealed to the reader about the character that they didn't know anywhere else in the story? How did the scene move the story forward? And if the scene hasn't done something that hasn't been done before or where new information hasn't been revealed, then perhaps 
you haven't fulfilled the goal of the scene. So my advice to you is before you begin writing scenes, sit down and say to yourself, what is the purpose of this scene? Character X meets character Y when they run into each other at the museum. They have a conversation and discover that they have something in common. And so they decide to go for coffee. And this is where their entire friendship begins. That is the purpose of the scene. And it generally helps to give your character something that they want in a scene, whether it's just you know, to go to the museum or whether they want to take a long walk to clear their head or if they want to break up with somebody, even if they just want a cup of coffee, give them something that they want. Because remember that characters in action, we want to see characters moving around. We don't want to see characters sitting down for the entire novel. You want them getting up, moving from place to place, moving from scene to scene. Lisa Cron in Story Genius has a section about writing scenes, has these excellent scene cards in which you write down before a scene begins, you know, the cause of what happens, the effect of what happens, why it matters that this thing has happened, the realization that stems from this thing happening. And so what does this all mean? I've previously chatted to Lisa Cron. And for those of you who haven't yet got her book, this is working through Lisa's scene card and looking at something that's called the third rail is a very useful exercise for writing scenes that matter and that really move the story along. And now for those details on the two creative writing courses that I will be offering in May and June. The first course is called So You Want to Write a Novel? Maybe you've always wanted to write a novel but just don't know where to begin or you had a really great idea but it fizzled out or you finished your novel but weren't able to sell it for whatever reason. Maybe you're not sure if you headed in the right direction and would like some feedback on your work in progress. If so, this eight-week course consisting of 16 hours of lecture time is for you. Join me virtually once a week for two hours at a time to learn everything you need to know in order to start working on your novel. Learn about structure, pacing, stakes, characterization, conflict, backstory, plotting, dialogue, and writing scenes in a practical way that will allow you to apply your learning to your work in progress. Test your idea to ensure that it has legs so you don't write yourself into a dead end after just a few weeks. Work in groups to critique each other's work and to get feedback on your own work and get feedback from me with regards to your strengths as a writer and areas in which you can improve. This virtual course via Zoom begins on the 6th of May 2021 and will run until the 24th of June 2021. Webinars are every Thursday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Classes will be recorded in case you have to miss any of them. Then the second course that I'm offering is Writing a Kick-Ass First Chapter. Now, most agents and editors who consider your work won't read past the first chapter. If you don't grab their attention in those first few pages, you've lost out on an opportunity to have your work stand out. 
spend four weeks consisting of eight hours of webinar time with me learning how to finesse and polish your first chapter into something that shines. Learn all the theory involved in great openings and how to apply them to your own work in progress. Spend two hours every Saturday morning from the 8th of May to the 29th of May, a virtual webinar, work in groups critiquing one another's work, and get personalized feedback from me as well. The online Zoom classes are from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Classes will be recorded in case you have to miss any of them. If you're interested, please go to my website, www.biancamaray.com. Look under the Courses tab for the costs and how to sign up. If you're an own voices author from a marginalized or underrepresented group writing about your own experiences from your own perspective, and if you'd like to attend but can't afford the course, please reach out to me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com to apply. And that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions about writing or publishing, please email me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on. Calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on.